You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Gemma, I help connect business with tech talent and today I'm your host. Welcome to another instalment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined with Jan, Ihab, David and Matthias to discuss working from home and how to get the best out of working remotely. Before we delve deeper into the topics, let's work our way around the room and introduce ourselves. Um, Let's start with David. Hi everyone, I'm David Morgenstern and I'm heading up people and culture at Curb Food. Uh, People and culture is a New and fancy name for HR, but it's HR plus, I guess. Uh, I'm super passionate about culture building and concrete manifestation of culture in companies. Plus, I'm an avid Warhammer player. So I've gotten back into the hobby, painting like mad, playing like mad. That's me in a nutshell. Perfect. And how about you, Ehab? Hey everyone, thanks, thanks Gamma, and uh, it's nice to be here. Um, uh, my name is Ihab Karelin. Uh, I'm probably the reason why the last names are not being pronounced around here. Uh, I'm an architect and a tech lead uh, at PostNord. Uh, I uh, spend a lot of my time at work dealing with mostly architectural issues and software and also sometimes communication issues and um, making sure people are, you know, making the most out of the time that they're spending together and increasing, you know, communication and efficiency between everyone. Uh, and in my spare time, I do a lot of a lot of reading in a variety of, you know, scientific topics, mostly like evolutionary biology and logic and so on. Yeah, and uh, I'm happy to be here and thank you for the invitation. Perfect. And how about you, Matthias? My name is uh, Matthias Aspel. I'm a technical team lead at Storytel. Um, so it's really two, two roles in one. One is the team lead part and one is the tech lead part. So I lead a cross-functional development team consisting of five web developers and one tester. Um, so the team lead part focusing more on agile processes, making sure the workplay flow is effective. And the technical part is leading or driving the technical vision along with a tech manager. On my spare time, I, I spend most of my spare time with my daughter. She's two years old, so it takes up a lot of time. But uh, also play hockey, so ice hockey. And uh, like to, I mean, exercise in general, try to uh, walk a lot now when we're working remotely. Uh, yeah, that's me. Great. And then last but not least, Jan. Hi, I'm uh, Jan Turkesson. Uh, I work as a head of product at a payments company called uh, Paynova. Uh, so, uh, and yeah, I, I just love making uh, people's life easier by creating a better user experience with the products that I'm working with. Um, and on my spare time, I love to play tennis. Um, and uh, well, obviously, be with my kids as well. Uh, it's uh, that, something that takes a lot of my time. Great. So now we've established a bit of context on each of you and who you are. Um, let's move into focus on the topic. So you've all given me a question or a statement about working from home. 
um, how to get the best out of remote engineers. So as usual, we'll work around the room and ask each other to pose your question. If you could give reasons behind your question and a bit of context, that would be great. And then we'll go around the room and let everybody speak about what they think about that. Um, let's start with Matthias. Yeah, so my question regards how to install a company culture in the remote and distributed teams. So at Sortels, we have employees all over the world, uh, which means that people are working in different time zones. And uh, since uh, the pandemic happened, we're also offering full-time remote positions. Um, and as a team lead, uh, uh, being part of recruitment processes and onboarding people into the team, um, I think it's enough of a struggle just to get them uh, integrated into the team and the culture of the team. But I think it's even harder to get them integrated into the company. Like how, like what is it like working at Storytel? It's much easier if you're in office and you know you, you meet people all the time. You have lunch with people and you uh, meet people much much more frequently across across teams. So my question is, yeah, how do you install company culture in these new sort of uh, engineering teams? Great. Shall we go to David first? What what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. I, I I think it's a great question, Matthias, and uh, it's it's definitely something that I've you know had reason to to ponder. Uh, at Curb Food, we also take a, a kind of talent first, remote approach. If we find really good people, be it you know in Tunisia or Belarus or Germany, uh, that's probably where they're uh, going to be located. Um, a couple of thoughts. Uh, I, I mean, one is I think the, the culture of the team will have such a big influence on your perception of the company culture as a whole. That I wouldn't worry too much. Like if you ace that, then you're like 80% there. Um, but to go, go that last cut of 20% and, and really get them marinated in the, in the full company culture, I mean, one, one thing that I've implemented here at, at Curb and that we're trying out now is uh, to use more modern collaboration tools. Uh, we were looking at things like Coda and Notion. And I mean, I know there's a, a wide variety of these type of platforms that combine sort of an intranet with a productivity platform, uh, with scheduling, with Kanbans, with, with all of that but really put quite a lot of thought into how you design uh, workspaces for the teams in this virtual setting. I mean, we, we tend to devote a lot of time into designing our physical spaces and making sure the office kind of reflects the culture and colors and the way it's layouted. And okay, we want these type of areas because we want to encourage this type of collaboration. Uh, I think devoting equal time into the virtual uh, workspace and saying like, Okay, when, when you join a new team or when a new team is formed, these are the pages in Notion, for example, that you should always have. Uh, you always uh, have to start out with creating uh, like a team commitment document where you agree to the basic rules of engagement within the team. You always share information in, in this way or that way. Uh, so, so you make the culture manifest in the place where everyone kind of will see it and encounter it and work with it, which is this virtual workspace. It's uh, it's it's tricky and I, I don't think we've solved it by any means, but I've, I mean, I've, I've started experimenting in this area and I, I 
think it has a lot of possibilities. That, that's my initial two cents. Perfect. And how about you, Jan? What do you think? Uh, I mean, it's obviously quite tricky, but but uh, but I, I'm all, like thinking like, okay, so what does the culture actually mean? Uh, and and in some of the things that what culture is is uh, for me, it's like how people behave and how they act. Uh, like, are people like, is it okay to be? Um, uh, mean to each other in the company or or are people nice and uh, and and do, how do they act when, when they uh, uh, take on a task uh, is there a sense of urgency for example uh, is innovation premiered or punished like that that's the kind of the culture and and that comes usually like from the management uh, and and the uh, and and they are the ones that need to uh, bring this culture. Uh, and, and for me, it, it's it, it's regardless if it's remote or or uh, or in the office. Um, I mean, if you if you have more than one office as a company, you are essentially remote. Uh, uh, so so you will have those same kinds of issues. Uh, and I, I think many companies do have that problem when they open a new office. Like, like how do you bring the culture? Uh, you know, there's always this headquarters versus the satellite offices, um, and uh, and and I, I think with remote you can actually uh, create a more level playing field uh, if if you uh, instill like all, all these tools that are more online, like uh, like David you were talking about this, uh, and I, I think like for example when we are designing new things, we are using Figma. And and we can both be in the same tool and look at the same thing, and and we can uh, at the same time be talking uh, uh, over over Slack, for example. Uh, so, uh, it, yeah, I, I think it's a lot about how how you work and behave. And and we we had this um, uh, project, and uh, uh, when I when pandemic started, and and we basically had uh, one designer, front end developer, and a back end developer. And they all basically started during the pandemic, and we were still able to deliver and uh, and and work really well together. So, uh, yeah, I think it's about just how people act to, uh, with each other. And Ehab, do you have anything to add? Um, I agree with pretty much what what most of what have been said here. I would just like to add that 90% um, of it is less about the, the culture and the tooling, and it's mostly about whether or not the vision has been communicated well, and the vision, and, and actually everyone believes in what they're doing. Um, I mean, it's much easier to communicate the visions face-to-face. -face. I mean, we're the, the, the way us humans uh, interact, we're we're not just about what is you know we're not just verbal or uh, it's, it's, it's mostly about you know sometimes it's even just about the smell of it's about the presence of the person and so on um and uh, i mean the the i think uh, we can look at it from from a different perspective here like let, let's assume it's not a work environment let's assume it's a dating environment 
you probably cannot date someone for too long that you've not seen uh, that much because you, in order to build empathy and bond and so on, you gotta be physically present from time to time. Um, however, um, this is why I'm more and more of a fan of the hybrid kind of model where you do meet it once in a while. However, you still get to have your space. You still get to do your things to you know, to work from you know strange places and you know see the world and so on. So uh, it's so it's it's mostly about this uh, primitive need to be present with others in order to be in order to build the bond, feel like a you know, kind of like a navy team kind of uh, group. And uh, this is, I think, what makes people build beautiful things. David, do you have anything you'd like to add on that? Yeah, I've uh, digitally raised my hand. Uh, no, a, a question for you, Matthias. Uh, what, what does the, like, company onboarding look like currently and when does it happen in the kind of lifetime of the of the new employee so um, it's not consistent for all teams i mean the company uh, obviously has uh, some structure in place but it depends a little bit uh, with what type of engineering team it is um, but usually like in my position you take bigger pretty big role um, and then like what once the employee starts it depends obviously if you're a junior or senior developer for example how much you sort of guide them through uh, their work and then in terms of uh, culturally there's no like you know you need to have this amount of fikas or afterwards or there's nothing mm. in place it's like more up to like that in my position to arrange those mm. then i think my advice <clears throat> would be um for you to uh push for in the in the company that uh, they they become more strict because uh, i i think that there's no such time as when you're fresh off the boat so to say when you're really open to impressions when you haven't yet formed an impression of the company you haven't really started working to to start molding uh that person into the company culture uh, we're quite strict that you're not allowed to start on a day when we don't have an onboarding. Uh, and for each onboarding, right now it's it's about half a day. I'm going to extend it gradually and add elements. But you know, the first thing is that uh, the CEO is there and shares, you know, what is the vision of the company. Uh, then our uh, head of technology and our head of operations jointly do, you know, what is the kitchen of the future? What is the, you know tech problems that we're trying to solve together with operations and, and so on and so forth. So that gives them this like, okay, this is how we do things around here, uh, which to me, I think is the best definition of culture, like how things are done around here. Um, you get an introduction to tools, platforms, but, but also like saying everyone, we take this seriously, seriously enough that you're actually not allowed to start when there's not an onboarding. That's how important it is that you get a good launch into our uh, overall company culture and then you can take over and it, it sounds as though you're doing a good job already getting them into the team and you know using the tools and the collaboration techniques and everything that are in the team 
Yeah, like I said, we do have some structure in place, like every new employee gets to meet HR and they go through a, a bunch mm. of practical things and we have an employee handbook. So there is definitely mm. like a representation of the overall organization. But I mean, there's like I said, there's still a lot left to someone in my position to sort mm. of guide them <laughs> into the company. Mm. Great. Well, it, does that answer your question, Matthias? Is there anything you want to like add on to that, or is that is that everything answered? No, definitely some great ideas and stuff that I haven't thought of. So yeah, big thanks. <laughs> now I can onboard people better into Twitter. <laughs> great. And Jan, what's your question? Yeah. So my my question uh, was. Uh, uh, like, how do you think about written versus spoken communication? Uh, so obviously, if we are remote, well, it's much harder to uh, meet each other uh, face to face and communicate. Uh, so, uh, have you changed any of your behaviors uh, pre-pandemic to to the remote world? Um, and uh, and if you have, like, how have you done that? Yeah, we, we are definitely turned more towards the written uh, communication. And the reason, like I said, we have people all over the world, it's hard to sort of get everyone uh, a time for a meeting when people <laughs> in different time zones uh, can, can make it. And so we definitely turn more into written communication. And I, I'm very like a big fan of like the single source of truth policy that you have. So if you do have a, a project document where you like create your brief, that you keep that document alive and you keep sort of a pipeline so you can sort of follow what happens like who is making which decisions uh, that sort of thing you know sometimes that can get lost in a meeting if no one is taking notes for example um, so I like to use like, a lot of comments in the documents so it's like it gets stored right there's always uh, you can sort of follow every decision but then I think with written communication you, you can also fall into uh, some of these traps, like maybe you make a decision on in a DM on Slack or in a project channel, and I also am a fan of bringing that into whatever tools you tool you're using, like uh, for maybe your your epics. Let's say you have a, doc, a specific tool that you store all your uh, project epics. But I want to keep like I want to keep that document alive. I want it to like live on through the entire project, and so you can follow like all the decisions uh, as much as possible. Great, and Ihab, what do you think about this? Uh, I agree with, uh, with Matthias here that you know, it, it, it's important to document and have some kind of a record of traceability. Uh, but the, 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 I think that there are a couple of problems that arise from here. First of all, is that we are in a very fast moving field and things kind of like a little bit snappy and they change from day to day. and a lot of the documentation can sometimes be unreliable and outdated and it's hard to you know actually um, see if this is the case that fits and what happens is that you actually communicate with the person who wrote it and, uh, and you ask them is this still valid um, and but uh, that's very essential also as well to have the documentation and have things written because um, there's this you know, being hit by a bus by a bus theory, which is, uh, you know, if, if one of your team members got hit by a bus, where the rest 
of, uh, of the team gonna grind to a halt, right? So it's important to also keep records of that. It's, uh, I think this is, this is necessary whether or not you're working remotely. Um, so perhaps it's one of the, the good aspects of working remotely is that you have a bit more traffic, uh, traceability and documentation going on. I, I, I think I, I would have a hard time seeing that there's more of one thing or less of one thing, but there's definitely a change to the quality with which probably I write and people around me write uh, and how writing is used for decision making, uh, how verbal communication has to be structured. and. Uh, I mean, I'm 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 a big fan of the the pre-read model, the the possibility or forcing people to write down their thoughts. It usually becomes much more structured, and you often, even on yourself, you can call bullshit on on stuff like it sounded so good in my brain, but actually when I wrote it out and had to argue for it, it it, it turned out that the idea didn't hold up. Uh, and what you're saying, Matthias, with having that kind of discussion log uh, saved there. Uh, I think yeah, what you're saying is, is also super interesting. You know, what's the what's the lifetime value of those uh, comments? I, I remember when I joined the company because we're still sort of in startup mode. We're only uh, 60 employees. If we uh, include also the, 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 the blue collars working in our kitchens, uh, but I had this thought like maybe we should have as a rule that every document that we create that is more of a policy document also comes with a timestamp, including how many people we were when we took this decision, because then you would quickly realize like, okay, we took that decision when we were 20 people. Now that we're 500, maybe it's not so relevant anymore. Um, something that I've noticed, uh, maybe not so much at my current workplace, but prior to this, I worked for Ericsson and then for Klarna, was that sometimes I think the written communication, especially on platforms like Slack, can take a very harsh tone, like the way that you would almost in a troll-like manner debate on the internet has kind of flown into company platforms as well. And it, it's sort of like you're, you're uh, arguing against this faceless entity and having been in HR, we've often bared brunt of people's frustration. Uh, and it, it's kind of, it brings out the worst in people. So I, I, I think I would give as, a, as an advice to any organization I'm in, like if you're going to write something like really critical or where you really have to complain about something, maybe consider doing it face to face because you will actually be more nuanced. You'll force yourself to be more nuanced. Uh, a reflection on the verbal side is that I think I've I've seen a lot of virtual meetings completely collapse and fail because people assume that they can communicate the same way as they do uh, face to face. Uh, I've I've found my experience is that uh, verbal communication in a virtual setting just requires so much more facilitation. You know, unless the leader is on her or his toes and really draws people in actively, asks questions, has a clear agenda, uses tools like Jamboards and things like that, it it just doesn't work as well. You can pose questions like, what do you think everyone? And you know, in a room, you would have gotten five answers. Virtually, you get none. Um, yeah, sorry, that was a long rant. <laughs> I think he has put up his hand again. 
Yeah, that's actually, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's, it's just that we're in a field where you're, most of the time you're spending, spending with a computer. You're doing something, you're trying to be as efficient as possible. Mm. So this sometimes seeps into your personal life or your communication with other where you want your communication with others to be as efficient. So a lot of in our industry, like the stereotypes do have some truth behind them that um, a lot of you know the people in our industry, they're not as communicative or not as extroverted. But I think it's mostly because of this kind of efficiency mindset that gets people to think of uh, certain types of communication to be considered as like kind of padding uh, or unnecessary. So they try to be as direct as possible, but by being direct, forget that the person in front of you is a human, they got emotions and um, you might need to tune things down a little. You, may, you might need to think of a couple of ways where you know you can deliver your message uh, without you know invoking negative feelings towards the person. And as you mentioned, David, this is, I mean, through writing is even a lot more difficult, you know? And, uh, I mean, you could throw an emoji here and there, but <laughs> I don't think that helps that much. Yeah. Perfect. Jan, do you have anything to add on that? Is there any other questions you have? Uh, no, I, th I think it's a very good discussion. And uh, uh, I think, seen a lot of the same same things uh uh at our company too uh uh but yeah very very good stuff thank you perfect and david what about your question mm -hmm. um and thanks uh, jan for um asking for a bit of clarification when i reread it it's it's not the <laughs> most obvious question in the world but I think at the heart of it is what are your top tips uh, to get leaders, I mean, be them team leaders or, you know, product owners or, or whoever, but someone who's trying to lead and facilitate teamwork in this virtual, mixed virtual IRL setting uh, to, to be as efficient as, as possible. I've, I think personally it requires something slightly different than the face-to-face -face leader that we used to develop and nurture. Um, so I'm, I'm super curious to hear your top tips on this. I, I think uh, one of the things uh, like you already mentioned, David, is, is uh, like before our meeting, it might be really good to, uh, actually get uh, insight uh, and, and answers uh, beforehand from a written communication and then you could um, th then it will help facilitate facilitate the the, uh, the meetings that you will have uh, online and and, uh, uh, and and also to to have <laughs> good uh, agenda so you know you know what you wh why are you having the, the meeting uh, I think that's very important to know. But uh, just like some practical things, uh, I think it's great that if you know if everybody's on the meeting and if they're maybe working on the same thing that everybody has their computers, uh, preferably everybody is uh, also uh, in in uh, with video like from their own computer. I think that's uh, a little bit easier. Um, 
and uh, yeah so i mean it's it's quite it's it's a bit hard but but i think it's like the same thing I talked about before that if everybody is kind of on the same level playing field during these meetings it it will make it easier and, and not have the outsider feeling that you might sometimes have when you're uh maybe not the person in the room uh so like how, how do you make those people feel comfortable uh as well mm. great and um, Matthias, what do you think yeah i think in general i think we judge our team members and our bosses differently in the remote setting i think it we judge them more on productivity so I think the sort of social aspects of being a team uh, is not as important uh, when you work remotely. So what I mean with productivity as a leader, I think it's like if you promise to do something, you need to do it and you need to show the team that you are improving uh, something for the team. So for example, if I promise my team that uh, we're gonna, they, they don't like the format on our retros, for example, and I promise let's change it. I, I need to change it. I need to show them that I'm producing something to the team. Um, so, like I said, I think it's both true, uh, like this example for engineers, like uh, that they're sort of jira tasks, tasks that they're working with them efficiently. As a, as a leader, it's, it's, it's the same in the sense that if you promise to improve something for the team, you need to show them that you're doing it. They need to see it for themselves. It, it kind of sounds obvious that you need to, uh, whatever you promise the team, they should do it, but I think it becomes more important i think it's part of this sort of uh, pr productive mindset that we have when working remotely that it doesn't matter as much it's like you always want a boss that cares but i think that's sort of you know putting uh, your hand on someone's shoulder you know, showing them i think that it's not as important actually when you're working remotely but maybe you guys disagree with me ehab what do you think um i see Jan's pointer and like he mentioned um something like you know showing up with video for example um it's a it's a double-edged sword i would say it's uh, it's important to keep people in their comfort zone in a lot of ways and um, while while it's important and encouraged to kind of you know be as present as possible, be it through voice or uh, through camera and so on. It's important to not overdo it as well. Um, I mean, uh, let's not get ourselves. I mean, with the morning meetings, we're probably having them in our jammies and our hair all messed up. And, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you, don't, you don't want to, you know, get people to feel like there's a lot of burden uh, that comes out of, you know, communicating with others, because otherwise they would at least at a subconscious level associated with, you know, some, being something negative. Uh, so like a, a little bit of balance in there probably would go a long way. Mm -hmm. That was a really good point there. Um... I, I, something I take away from you, Jan, is the, you know, to not neglect like the hygiene factors because they are very different in a remote setting, like thinking about the camera, like 
telling people, please do not multitask. You know, I can't check whether you're checking your emails or doing things in parallel, but you know, please uh, be focused. Uh, and and Matthias, this this thing about the probably expectations on the leader are more concrete now, uh, and you know. If, if you're struggling, it might be because you're, you're doing stuff, but team doesn't see it in the same way they did before. So you have to show them in a more concrete way, the steps that you're taking, what you're doing for them. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's really insightful. And you also said good things, Ahab, but I, I didn't memorize them as well. I'm sorry. Uh. Perfect. So Ahab would like finally, what's your question? Yeah, um, I was thinking. I mean, if we if we took like a first principle approach towards this, and we went back to the drawing board. Uh, I mean, this this modern work style, this five days, eight hour workday, was as we know, it was invented by Henry Ford, you know, to get people to buy cars on weekends. Uh, so they wouldn't be working all the time. So the, whatever the model that's but we have for over 100 years, it's something that's invented for a different place and time. Let's say we're starting from scratch, we're designing everything from the beginning. I mean, let's, we, even if we had like wild ideas about it, what would you, what would you guys recommend? Like, what would the new design look like for, you know, work environments and so on? Oh. That's an interesting question. Uh, uh, I, I think you could also think about like what is work like for us. Uh, I mean, we we work in in a knowledge based industry, um, so I mean, work can be uh, looking through interesting Twitter threads or or uh, during the night, <laughs> or or uh, listening to a podcast while you are. Uh, walking somewhere. I mean, th that could be considered as work as well, because you are actually learning about um, something that has to do with what you're working on. So, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting. Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, in the end, it's it's like the the results that you're doing. Uh, that that's that's what matters to me, at least when I'm looking at. Uh, the people that work for me is like, uh, what what are they achieving? Uh, I mean, uh, especially in in a as a product uh, leader, you are you are not with your employees like all the time, uh, so you don't see them that often anyway. Uh, so you're looking at the results and uh, how how they are working and, and and helping them along the way. So so you can't be monitoring them anyway. Uh, at all times, so you're just looking at what they're what what they actually create. Uh, so personally, uh, you know, it's it's hard to know if somebody's actually working uh, forty hours a day a uh, week. Um, so so yeah, it's it's probably not. Uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, like five days a week and eight hours a day is, uh, you know, probably already kind of changing for a lot of companies and a lot of uh, uh, positions in a sense. 
Uh, it's a it's a huge and hugely uh, interesting question, and I'm I'm kind of in my mind I'm sort of exploring dual tracks because one is, uh, you know, if I if I disregard all the legal frameworks, all the administrative and st structures that have evolved uh, with the kind of work week and, and so on as its basis, and you know, having a collective bargaining agreement, for example just that little detail makes it so much harder to completely revamp things. But uh, I mean, for, for, for one thing, I think any, any, for any model to be really successful, you also have to think about like the ownership of the, of, of the company. Um, I'm a huge fan of, you know, give as much equity as possible to everyone who's contributing. Uh, I think a wise person said that, I mean, the only really good way to, to structure knowledge work and compensation for knowledge work is to make everyone a partner. Uh, and I think that's, you know, it might be difficult to, to, to carry out in reality, but there's really something to it because one's ownership becomes a big part of how you're remunerated and all the other things kind of become a bit more simple. Um, if I'm less philosophical, <laughs> I would say, you know, let's start from the common needs of the team uh, and, and work backwards from, from there. You know, I would be a little bit annoyed if someone came in to the business as a new employee said, you know, I'm a night person. I can only work at night. Therefore, my work must be structured, you know, uh, only during the nighttime. Uh, but if someone came and said, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to figure out when my team needs me, when my team needs me face-to-face, -face, when they need me to be productive, when they need me to, to do this and that. And then I'll figure out a great way to, uh, you know, structure my day around that. Uh, then I would just say, yeah, knock yourself out, you know, go, go ahead. Uh, as, as long as you're productive, as long as shit happens, then, uh, you know, you can work on weekends, you can work. Uh, at other days, I, I, I think also the concept of time, and you're touching on it, Jan, is like, because we're working in complex areas and with complex problems, you know, you might create the most value during half an hour that you worked uh, on, on Monday, uh, because you solved such a complex, crucial problem to the business during that half hour. Uh, and then rest of the week, you might put in hours, but those are actually more or less worthless. Uh, because you're just doing mundane tasks that will be automated in 10 years time anyway. So like forcing someone to work 40 hours will not inc increase the likelihood of them being productive or coming with these groundbreaking things that actually create value for the business. Uh, so yeah, I think flexibility is the way to go um, for, for sure. Then we just need to figure out how to structure society and everything around it. Uh, but that's another that's another question, and it's not the one that you asked. Yeah, I mean, uh, I agree with uh, both of you, and uh, Jan. I mean, it's a complex question. It's a great question, and it's something that's it's a hot topic. And I think uh, companies who have moved to like thirty hours a week have not really, at least to say, they haven't really suffered in terms of productivity. But then again, like <laughs> like you guys said, like time in itself is that. Is that how you measure, or is is that the way to structure like the, the work, working agreement? Like, I mean, 
speaking for myself, I have no idea how many hours my team members work. I see what they produce. I see, I mean, I literally know developers, I see how much code they produce, but I also see how much they communicate, you know, uh, with, with other people in the company, but I don't actually know how many hours uh, they work. Uh, and also, I think you touched on it, David, uh, lastly, uh, there's also other functions of society that sort of uh, adapted to this uh, eight to five, for example, schools and preschools and restaurants to an extent. So, um, I mean, as for myself as a working parent, eight to five is pretty nice, just because, like I said, I have a, a kid in preschool. Uh, but uh, like personally, I, I I I could see another model being very successful. Um, so yeah, it's it's a big question. It's a, it's a great question, and I definitely think we're gonna see a lot of. Uh, like the mindset is going to change of what you said, John, what is work actually? And like, uh, yeah, is it, is it about the amount of hours or is it, is it something else that we should measure? Perfect. Um, just, just by listening to you all, do you think that by like the pandemic and a lot more people working from home due to that, do you think that changed like the, like eight till five? five like pattern like do you think more people are working later or people are being more productive with their time by like doing other things as well yeah i mean i i, I maybe there has been a little bit pre-pandemic but you know now that we, we are doing our stand-ups uh written form uh but i i see people uh doing their stand-up reportings at six o'clock in the morning and some are doing it uh nine or 9.30, uh, so you know, people have different uh, lives and they can adjust a little bit more um, now, definitely. Mm. Uh, sorry, I think the commute part is, is a big thing that people feel they're saving time, not having to commute, um, at least that's what I heard. But then I think actually research shows that uh, people work uh, uh, like one hour more than they used to during the pandemic. So that's usually the one hour you commute. So maybe it's, it's not much much of a difference. But I think just uh, that burden, like not having that burden, having to commute to the office every day sometimes. Maybe you want to sleep in for a reason. You have a bad, bad uh, night sleep. So you want to sleep a little bit longer in the morning and you can. And I mean, that sort of flexibility. And I think, like John said, it was. I think that was pre-pandemic already, at least in our field. I, I, I felt like it's it's been there for a few years. Uh, that that mindset of having flexible uh, working hours. Um, are you happy, David? Do you have anything to say on that? No, it's fine if you don't. No. <laughs> um, I mean, the the implications are going to be there for a while. Um, like at, at least in, in our field, I don't think developers are coming back to work in the office full time. Like it's, uh, it's. I mean, everyone that I've spoken to, they seem like they're not even um, willing to consider working for a job where it requires them to be in the office most of the time. So this had been brewing for the last few years. Um, I mean, I remember, you know, it was kind of a, for an idea back in 2015 and 2016, it was like it wasn't easy to find a position that allows you to work anywhere you want. It was always assumed to be something that's given to you know 
to entrepreneurs or you know if you're a photographer or whatever uh, but right now it seems like this is what life is almost everyone you meet is that way no one is interested at all in coming back and i think if companies have been you know hardline opponents of uh you know remote working post covid they might find it difficult to hire people who would be um, who would you know otherwise have opportunities to go work for other companies yeah. i think the 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 mix is definitely here to stay the mix will will never go away uh and it's it's funny how people's experience can can differ quite widely and probably it's a testament to us you know seeking like-minded acquaintances and and so on uh if i look at curb i mean i was in charge of uh, procuring our, our new office and uh now the pressure i'm getting to, to just get seats because everyone wants to come in and work in the office they're super fed up with working from home but i'm like but I calculated that people would be working from home. I, I haven't, you know, I haven't gotten enough seats for people. Uh, what's what's going on here? So uh, uh, I, I definitely feel the, the the push from people, and maybe it's going to be like then everyone works from the office for a while, and it's like okay, it wasn't as sexy as we remembered it, and then they're going to go back and uh, work more from home. But I think for a period of time, we we will see uh, an increased pressure there. Uh, but it's also interesting. I mean, we're a mixed company. We have kitchens, so we have uh, blue-collar workers there working really, you know, regulated shifts. They can't work from home. I mean, unless any of you have great ways of remotely cooking a pizza or a grilled sandwich, then, uh, you know, uh, maybe robotics is going to solve it in the end. But, you know, that's a very different and in and, and one shape or form we have to inter interact and you know we, we build software also for our own kitchens and kitchen management systems so that does require quite a fair bit of testing and getting feedback and you know launching things in the middle of uh, service um uh, matthias yeah and, and like i said i also believe the hybrid models here to stay but i think like the reason for going to office is not to work not said it's to interact and socialize with mm. your colleagues so i think like that will be uh, different uh, so yeah and maybe like you meet your colleagues in social forums more that maybe you hey let's go for lunch you know or let's have an afterward that you maybe uh like like you said, you have a, we, like as an engineer, you're like, why do I need to go on office? And why do I need to go to office? I have a commute, computer at home. Like, like why, why do I need to do that? And maybe it becomes the social aspect instead. Hey, I want to hang out with people. That's why I go to the office. Yeah, I definitely think that as well. That that uh, uh, meeting each other, but also maybe uh, more uh, planning. Uh, like when you when you really need to plan and and, and brainstorm, that's when you want to meet. Um, and and the rest of the time is more delivery. Uh, Great. Well, does anybody have any like last minute thoughts? Any questions before we wrap it up? No. Um, I just uh, like to thank you, Gamma, for organizing this. Uh, you did an amazing job and uh, looking forward to hear it when it comes out. 
Perfect. Well, we'll leave it there then. So this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. It's been great to listen to all of you and all of your thoughts. I think we've had some really good discussions and got some great things out of it. Um, thank you for listening. And if you'd like to get involved in any upcoming podcasts, please reach out to me on LinkedIn or get in touch. Thank you.